Everybody, whether you are gathered around a TV with your family or watching this by yourself today, please know, FBC Fisherville loves you. We care about you. We're praying for you. We miss you. And we cannot wait to gather together soon. As you know, Memphis Mayor Jim Strickland issued an executive order that requires us to stay home. And this order will be in effect for two weeks, but could be extended further. Therefore, our church campus and church offices are closed. All regular scheduled events and activities have been canceled until April the 7th. Our facilities might be closed. They are closed. But I'll tell you this, our ministry is wide open. We will continue to provide necessary and encouraging content for you online. You can find our most recent messages on our church website, fisherville.org, or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching FBC Fisherville. We are also on Apple Podcasts, and you can search FBC Fisherville there too. We want you to know that we're on Facebook. You can search First Baptist Church of Fisherville, and there you will find content, there you will find encouragement, there you will find information that you need to know. Your fervent prayers and radical generosity in these days are valued. Your giving allows First Baptist Church Fisherville to continue reaching our neighbors and the nations. At this time, you can text any gift amount to 901-402-2151. Church family, please visit fisherville.org forward slash give to see all of our giving options. Finally, if you need to reach our ministry staff for any reason, you can call our church office at 901-853-4253. We love you and we are here to serve you. Now, let's worship together and then we will hear a message from our pastor. to pass. 
Jesus, you're still enough. Keep me within your love. My heart will sing your praise again. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my like to thank you for joining us once again for online worship with our family at First Baptist Fisherville. I want to start with this question. It's going to require you to think back to your childhood, all right? Do you remember any of those first prayers that maybe your parents taught you to pray when you were a kid? You know, prayers like, bless the beans, bless the meat, thank you, Lord, let's eat. I can remember learning that one as a child. Uh, I remember also following it up with this little statement, over the lips and through the gums, look out belly, here it comes. But I'm guessing... For most of you, the very first prayer that you ever learned to pray, especially around the dinner table, was God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food, amen. I got to thinking about the theology of that prayer this week. And really, for the majority of us, we have no problem believing that God is great. We walk outside, we see the creation, 
And we see the, the stars in the sky, we see the sun and the moon, and we see all the mountains and the trees and the ocean and all those things, and we can say, God is great, He is majestic, He is powerful. We look in the words of Scripture, like in Isaiah chapter 6, when it talks about God seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and we can easily say, God is great. But there are circumstances that we might go through in our daily lives that might cause us to doubt whether or not God is good. That second part of that prayer. Today, I want us to consider that question. How do we know that God is always good to us? James chapter 1. If you'll open a Bible there to James chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 16. And while you're turning there, let me just give you a little context. James was writing to Christians in the first century. They were recent converts to Christianity, most of them from Judaism. And when they converted to Christianity, they became outcasts. They became um, exploited. They were, many of them were forced from their homes. They were being persecuted. They were going through extreme hardship. And last week we talked about the verses just prior to this. And, and for instance, in James chapter 1 and verse um, 13, when it says, Let no one say that when he is tempted, that I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And so obviously there were believers then who were beginning to think that God was tempting them to do evil. And what we're going to see today is that there must have been believers who were believing that God wasn't giving them good gifts, that He was maybe an evil God or an insufficient God. And I can think, I can imagine that as they went through their days and they were going through the tough times they were, maybe they thought to themselves, how could God allow all this bad stuff to happen if He truly loves me? And so let's look in James chapter 1, starting in verse 16. It says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You see, for these believers who James was writing to, their circumstances were deceiving them. They were losing trust in God's goodness. In their minds, they knew that God could save them. They knew that God had given them salvation, so He was great and mighty and could do that. Um, but the hardship they were, they were going through made them think that maybe God wasn't so good. Maybe he wasn't so kind. Maybe he wasn't so loving. Might it be that we could feel those same things today, especially at this time in our history um, when we're all going through this crisis of coronavirus? Could it be that we might begin to think, how could a good God allow this to happen? How could he allow a global pandemic? How could he allow so much sickness and so much death? Why doesn't God just eradicate this thing? I can imagine someone is probably thinking, doesn't God know that this disease is keeping His church from meeting together? Doesn't God know that many of His children are the ones losing their jobs and losing their livelihood? I mean, wouldn't a good God step in and do something? You know, it's easy for those doubts to roll through our minds, to come in and out, and we go to the words of Scripture and we chase those doubts away. But there are times when those doubts don't just come in and out. There are times when they get lodged in our minds. They get lodged in our souls. And when that happens, when that happens in our lives, they can become a wrecking ball to our spiritual walk. And so allow me today to give you two reminders of how we can know that God is always good, that He is the one who only gives good. Point number one, consider the cause of pain and suffering. And that cause is sin. If we were to go back to Genesis chapter 1, we would read that God created the heavens and the earth. And He made it all good. He made all the animals. He made all the plants. He made people. He said it was good. And of mankind, He said it was very good. His creation was perfect. 
It was without death. It was without disease. But it doesn't take long. Only two chapters later in Genesis chapter 3, we read that Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent. And in that deception, they chose to sin. Sin entered the world. And when it came, it brought a curse. It brought death. It brought disease. It brought pain. You see, pain and suffering weren't God's fault. It was man's fault because man chose to sin. Thinking back to what we studied last week, James chapter 1, verse 13, let's read it. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. God is not the source of pain. He is not the source of suffering. Our sin is the source of pain. And so sin's presence presence does not point to an evil or insufficient God. It points to the sinfulness of man. I have sinned. You have sinned. We all have sinned. And the pain, the suffering we go through is the collective responsibility of all of our sin. It has brought a curse on our world. And so we cannot blame God. We should not blame God for the evil, for the suffering we're going through, because that suffering is because of our sin. God is good. We are not. And so God is definitely good. How can we know that God is good? Point number two, we need to consider the track record of God. We need to consider His track record. Let me ask you this. What makes a gift perfect? I mean, you know, we've probably all received a perfect gift before, but what really makes it perfect? It's not really the amount of money that's spent on it, right? Uh, What makes a gift perfect, in my mind at least, it's the thought. It's the fact that someone gave or did something for me um, that was exactly what I wanted, what I needed. It met some need, some desire um, that brought me much joy. Sometimes it doesn't matter how much money it costs. Sometimes those gifts do cost a lot of money. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it just requires time. I can think about one perfect gift I got a long time ago, and it came from my wife. Um, Now, if you've been around me much, you would know that I'm a big baseball fan. And so my wife got me a baseball bat for Christmas one year. I think it was Christmas. might have been my birthday. It was some, some uh, event like that. And she got me this baseball bat. Now, what made this the perfect gift wasn't just that it was a baseball bat. It was the name that was signed on it. I hope you can see that through the camera. Uh, but that name right there is Ozzie Smith, the wizard. My wife knows that I was a big St. Louis Cardinals fan growing up, and my favorite player was number one, the wizard, Ozzie Smith. I loved watching the Cardinals play baseball, and I loved watching Ozzie play. I loved watching when he would make big plays on the field, when he would dive and catch ground balls and throw guys out, and it just seemed like it was impossible. And so what made that the perfect gift was that my wife had given it to me because she knows me. She knows my likes, she knows my favorites, and she wanted to bring joy to me by giving me something that I really desire. And so what she gave me wasn't just a generic gift, it was a thoughtful gift just for me. Well, James tells us here that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. God, our Heavenly Father, knows us better than we know ourselves. And therefore, He can give us perfect gifts. Just think about the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 9 through 11, 
Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, if you have kids, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you know that sometimes children will ask for gifts um, for Christmas or for their birthday. They'll ask for things that aren't really best for them. They're not really good for them. Maybe it's not um, the right age. Maybe it's something that they're not going to be able to work. Maybe it's something that's way too expensive. Maybe it's something that they're going to break very easily. Um, And so we try to buy things for them that they need. We try to buy things for them that would work well, that they would enjoy, that would last. And Jesus is saying here that if I am capable of giving good gifts to my child, God is even more capable because God is a better father than I am. And so if you want even more evidence than that, if that's not enough for you, um, of God's goodness, His ability to give good gifts, I invite you just to look up, to look up in the sky. Because James says in chapter 1, verse 17, in the second part of that verse, he says that, that, that those good gifts are coming down from the Father of lights. Now, I know many of us might have forgotten that it's up there because I know it's been raining a lot. Uh, the past two months have been extremely wet here. Um, in the Memphis area. But if you were to go outside and look up in the sky on a nice day, you would see this yellow thing in the sky. It's very bright. It gives off a lot of heat. It's called the sun, right? God made it, correct? Um, He is the father of lights. And when we think about the fact that he created the sun, he made it to be good for us. He placed our planet just far enough away away from it that we're not burned up. Um, But we're not so far away from it that we freeze. And so God made it good for us. He made it exactly how it needs to be. God created it for our good. He created all the stars, the galaxies, the planets, the entire universe. Our God is the author of the spectacular. He is the inventor of the breathtaking. Just take this picture, for instance. This was a picture that was taken by the Hubble telescope back in 2012. It is known as the Hubble Ultra Deep Field Photo. And basically what NASA did was they pointed the Hubble telescope at one small square of, the, of the, the night sky. And they took a long exposure photo. And what that photo revealed in that one small square of our universe was over 10,000 galaxies. 10,000 galaxies. All created by a good God. And He made them all for His glory and for our pleasure. Our God is amazing. Our God is good. He is also, let me add this, He is unchanging. The next part of verse 17 says that God, in Him, there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, we all know that shadows change constantly. They change throughout the day. They change because of the seasons. They are always on the move. They are never the same. But with God, there is no change. And so if God was good yesterday... He will be good to us today, and He will continue to be good for us for all of eternity. Just the other night, my wife was digging through her end table or her nightstand next to our bed, and she came across some old journals where she would take sermon notes and write notes from Scripture and things like that. And she found one of the journals that was dated from 2011. And uh, for us, 2011 was, for the most of the year, was a pretty difficult year. Uh, We had been trying to have children for about five years. 
And um, at about year three, we began the process of adoption. We had waited about two years and not really heard anything. And as my wife was reading in that journal, she came to, to March of 2011, and she began to read of the sorrow that was in her heart at that time. She was questioning where God was, questioning God's plan, questioning God's presence. But it was interesting because if you turned over just a few pages to when she came to May, there was much more confidence in her heart. But then when you got to August, you would find a note about how an adoption agency had called us about a set of twins, twins that we would eventually adopt. Now, had God's goodness come and gone through that time? No. It's just we couldn't see his hand. We didn't know what he was up to, but he was working that whole time. You see, we might think that God's goodness comes and goes, but it does not change just like he does not change. And so coming to verse 18, James gives us the best evidence of all for God's eternal goodness. Let's look at James chapter 1, verse 18, where we read this. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You know, the greatest example of God's goodness is simply your salvation. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, the greatest example you have of God's goodness to you is the fact that you are saved. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, that God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2,000 years ago, the Son of God came to this earth to fix a problem that He did not cause. Remember I said earlier that God is not the one who caused pain and suffering. We did when we sinned. Well, Jesus Christ came to this earth to fix a problem He did not cause, and He did it at a great cost to Himself. We were suffering in our sin, and Jesus came and chose to suffer for our sake on the cross so that we might be born again. And so James says here that he, allow, that he allowed the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to come into your ears so that you could be led to salvation. And to these first century believers, he says that they are a kind of first fruit of his creatures. And this is what he means there, that these believers in Christ were the first of many to come. They were the beginning of the church. And because of God's goodness, he has allowed the gospel to continue to go forth. They were the first of the church, and we continue. We stand on their shoulders. We're part of that legacy. And so for over 2,000 years, the gospel has continued to go forth, and Jesus has continued to save souls. And He can save your soul today. Maybe you're watching this, and you're not a Christian. You're lost. Let me invite you to recognize that God is a good gift giver, and the greatest gift that He has ever offered you is the free gift of salvation. It's a free gift. It's the greatest gift, but it is a gift that must be received because Jesus does not force you into salvation. He invites you to receive salvation. And so today I'm encouraging you, if you are lost, if you're not a Christian, if you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, make today that day. Make today be that day in which you cry out to the Lord and admit your sin calling out to Him and saying, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong and my sin separates me from You. But I believe that You are the one true God and that You sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life and to die a sinner's death on a cross, to pay the price for my sin. And so I believe that, God, 
and I confess my sin. I repent of it. I ask you to forgive me of my sin based on what Jesus did on the cross. And I ask you to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. If you will do that, Jesus will save you. He will. He's promised it. You can receive that gift. That gift is always there. It is always available. You simply have to receive it. And for the believers who are watching today, let me encourage you with this. Even in these confusing times, God is always good. He is. His goodness never goes away. We might not see it, but it's there. There are going to be dark days. There are going to be difficulties. But God is always on His throne. He is always good. And so I would encourage you with this. Keep believing. Keep trusting. And keep walking by faith in God's goodness. I'll close with this. I heard a story the other day about an old music teacher who was once asked this question, What's the good word? And his response was this. He picked up a tuning fork. He struck that tuning fork, and out came the note A. And his response to the person who asked the question was this. This is an A. It's always an A. It was an A today. It was an A 5,000 years ago, and it would continue to be an A every single day after today. The soprano upstairs sings out of tune. The piano across the hall doesn't work. But this is always an A, and that's the good news. Here's the eternally good news. Our God is eternally, infinitely, forever good. He has always been good. He was good when He created the world. He was good when He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. He continues to be good today. He was good to you, if you're a believer, when He received you as His child, and He will be good to us for eternity. Trust in the Lord's goodness. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you're holy, that you're mighty. And Father, we thank you that you demonstrate your goodness to us every single day. We may not recognize it. We may not understand it, but you are always good. And so we, may we be reminded of that as we go throughout these difficult days. Father, I'm praying that if there's someone today who needs salvation, they're lost, they're without Jesus, and the only way they can have eternal life is they give their life to Christ. I pray that today would be that day of salvation when they would admit, admit their sin, put their faith and trust in Jesus, confess Him as Savior and Lord. Father, if there's someone who's making that decision today, I pray that you would encourage them to reach out to us, to reach out to some other believer, to be encouraged, to receive Christ, and to begin to walk as a new believer. It's in Jesus' name we do pray these things. Amen.
Thanks again for joining us today. If you've made a decision or if you need to talk to someone on our, on our ministry staff about something going on in your life, I would encourage you to email us at respond at fisherville.org. Once again, that's respond at fisherville.org. We would be glad to talk with you. We'd be glad to pray with you and to encourage you um, however we can in these times. Um, if you're one of our members, please take time and give. Continue to give to our church. I know it's difficult um, with the fact that we're not having regular services, but we need your faithful giving to continue our ministry, to continue um, giving money to missionaries, to church planters, to disaster relief, to all the different things that we support for the cause of Christ. Please do not forget to give. Thank you for joining us today. Hope, to, hope you'll join in with us again next week. Goodbye.